Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. So if you are new joining us here, my name is Jacqueline Snape. I'm the executive pastor here at New Life. Uh, For those of you that are watching online on newlife.nyc or Facebook or YouTube, welcome to you as well. Um, Pastor Rich is uh, at New Life East, so he's sharing with our congregation there. And so I'm pleased to be able to be here with you because today is the first Sunday of Women's History Month. And so if you are a little bit new to New Life, we have our M's and our multiracial M actually uh, encompasses um, our stance on women. And so we believe that women are equal values and partners in the world, equal values and partners in the church, whether that be serving or in addition, leading. And so I want to uh, celebrate all of our women here that serve in our ministries, that lead in our ministries. We really appreciate you and glad that we have you here at New Life. So yeah, give the ladies a hand. So we are in a sermon, uh, we are in a sermon series on the good and beautiful and kind. Um, That's Pastor Rich's new book. If you have not uh, received a copy of it, you know, please make your way to uh, getting that. Uh, You can get that on Amazon and we have copies here as well. Um, And this title comes from the title of a poem by the great Langston Hughes, a great American poet. And so Hughes says these words. He says, I am so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. And so in in weeks uh, one and two, Pastor Rich and Pastor Dre, they kind of talked about what those worms look like, um, one being sin and then the other powers and principalities and how those eat away at our personal lives and our, our society as well. And so then last week, Pastor Richie took us on a turn um, to begin to look like what, to to talk about what it looks like for us to now begin to do the work of living lives that are good and beautiful and kind. And so he talked about the gift of humility. Humility being not just doing a lowly task, but it's a life committed to the hard task of lowering our defenses. And again, humility is not just doing a lowly task. It's a life committed to the hard task of lowering our defenses. And so today we're going to talk about prayer. Um, And we're going to talk about it in a different way, but we're going to talk about what it looks like to live a life that is truly beautiful and kind through the lens of prayer. What What do we look like? What does it look like to encounter someone living that type of Christian life? Because I want us to recognize one truth. This is, this is a tight truth, but is a truth. We as Christians cannot live a life that is good, beautiful, and kind. We cannot live in this world, in that fashion, without a hidden life of prayer. It's not possible. I'm going to say that again. We cannot, as Christians, live a life of goodness, beauty, and kindness without a hidden life of prayer. It's not within our power. So today we're going to look at a life that has been framed 
in this hidden discipline of silence and solitude. We're gonna look at the life of John the Baptist. And our scripture is from John chapter one. We're gonna look at verses 19 through 28. So you can look at your screen or follow along in your own Bible. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So let's pray. Father, we just pray that you would be an unseen presence in this room with us. Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, that we would not only hear the word, but that we would receive the word, heed the word, allow it to transform us, and that we would go forward in the way that John did. So we bless you and commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So for some of you that do know me, others that don't, um, I want to tell you something about myself. I love food. No, no, I don't like food. I love food. I love, I love the smell of good food. I love the textures. I love trying new food. I love experiencing cultures through food. Love it. Live for it. Now, there's a funny thing, because that means I go to a lot of different eateries, right? And so there used to be this joke that people would tell. For those of you that own restaurants and eateries, I'm sorry, but this is a little mean, but they used to say, if you love going to restaurants, there's one thing you should never do. Never go in the kitchen. Because if you go in the kitchen, let's just say, it may change your experience in that eatery. And so the health department here in New York City, you know, they, they, they inspect restaurants and, and they do a really good job of that. And then a few years ago, what they decided to do is start giving restaurants grades because they wanted to help us as consumers to really understand what's happening in the back of the house at these places. And so if you get an A, yay, all is well, everything's in check, doing a great job. If you get a B, that means that maybe some things are, you know, been pointed out, but you're, you're fixing those things, you're on your way. If you get a C, let's just be clear, this is not like when you're in school and you get a C and you're still passing. You're not going back to that restaurant, okay? Not a good grade. And so the goal was to make sure that we as the customer, when we go through that door and we get that wonderful plate of food and we're experiencing this beautiful experience, that that experience is consistent what, with what is in the back of the house. In other words, integrity. What I experience here as goodness, as beauty, as kindness in that food there needs to be a back of the house that supports that beauty 
and consistency. Because you can't claim to have this excellent eatery, this fantastic restaurant, and the back of your house is a mess. That doesn't make sense, does it? And that's how our lives are. You can't, as a Christian, claim to have a life of beauty and kindness when the back of your house is a mess and is not guided by a hidden life of prayer. That is not possible. And so when people experience you, when they experience me in times of high anxiety, not today, we're all, you know, praise you, praise the Lord, hallelujah. No, no, in times of high anxiety and stress, when they experience you, in those times, are they getting a you that is consistent with this life that has been built on a hidden life of prayer? They will know because it's going to come out. Your foundation will reveal itself in those times. So what is it for you right now? As you look at the back of your house, so to speak, where's the messy area? Where's the closet that you've thrown everything in mentally? Is it around your finances? Is it your friendships? I mean, is that where the messiness is? Is it how you treat your neighbors, how you view your neighbors? So when your neighbor doesn't cut their lawn, are you, you know, scandalizing them? Are you ready to, to, to you know, put them on blast on social media? What happens and how do you live in those moments of anxiety? In our text today, John the Baptist um, you know, he came, he just bursted on the scene. He came as a result um, of the prophet Isaiah's proclamation that there was one that was going to be a forerunner to Jesus, right? The goal was someone was going to come and, and sort of lay out the red carpet and prepare the people and prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And so John, he stayed in the wilderness. He did what he was supposed to be doing. He waited stayed out there and ate his bugs and all the other stuff, good stuff that he did, waiting for that moment that he was going to burst on the scene. And as always in scripture, you know, when you have somebody that's obedient to God, they're stepping out um, in the way that God told them to do at the time that God told them to do it, and in the way that God told them to do it, what usually happens? What happens is the religious leaders of the day tend to get a little nervous right? Things start to get a little shaky because they become concerned. Now, make no mistake, they're not concerned about the people. They're not concerned about the well-being of the people. They're not concerned about the religious lives of the people. What they're concerned about is their power base, their power structure, and whether this newcomer is about to take that away. It was true with John, and it was true with Jesus. And so when they send these messengers, this is, not a, this is not an innocent encounter that John has. They're sending these messengers there to find a way to trip this guy up. They're hoping they'll expose him, and in exposing him, that he'll slink away in shame. And so they start the questioning, just rapid-fire questioning. Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Who are you? Give us an answer. What do you say about yourself? 
Now just imagine, this is, a, this is a field, there are tons of people out here. And all of a sudden, these officials who now clear the way, because they're, they're important people, right, so the crowd parts, they come in and they start leveling rapid fire at this guy. How would you feel? Imagine you're at work, you're in a conference room, right? And you're sitting there and you're kind of like half paying attention, you know, like some of you are doing right now. You're half paying attention. All of a sudden, your boss calls your name out and says, you, what did I just say? I'm like, flustered, right? Or you're in class, you're in school, and you're sitting there and you're dozing off, you're doing doodling, whatever you do, and your teacher points to you and says, What's the answer? This used to happen all the time when I was in law school, and so I learned one thing that was really important and that did, you know, save me over those two and a half years. Always sit in the front row. <laughs> because they never notice the people in the front row. So that's free tips. I'm giving you free tips here, okay? <laughs> front row. That's where you want to be. So how do you handle when those kind of stressors come at you? When people begin to question you? when they begin to doubt you, when they begin to call you out? How do you respond on social media when you share something, it comes from your heart, you, you're trying to be authentic, loving to people, and you post something and somebody turns around and they say, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. How stupid are you? Where'd you get that from? Are you even a Christian? How do you respond? Do you sit back and you're like, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> You, you're steps away from blasting them, aren't you? You're steps away, and some of you are not steps away. Some of you just go for it. You just get out there. But John, he doesn't do this. He doesn't give them what they have given him. He stays focused. He knows his mission. He knows who he is because in the silence and solitude of the desert, God used that to purge these things out of him, to purge all of those tendencies out of him and implant a soul cemented in prayer. He's transformed. Henry Nouwen, the author, describes the level of transformation this way. He says, in solitude, we can listen to the voice of him who spoke to us before we could speak a word, who healed us before we could make any gestures to help, who set us free long before we could free others, and who loved us long before we could give love to anyone. It is in this solitude that we discover that being is more important than having, and that we are worth more than the result of our efforts. In solitude, we discover that our life is not a possession to be defended, but a gift to be shared. It's there we recognize that the healing words we speak are not just our own, but are given to us that the love we can express is a part of a greater love, and that the new life we bring forth is not a property to cling to, but a gift to be received. Now one is pointing us to a life that can only be received, it can't be grasped. You can't create this life for yourself. It's not by human effort. It's only by a move of God. And in silence, 
and in solitude, he begins to plant those seeds that he can water, and we become fertile ground for goodness, fertile ground for kindness, fertile ground for beauty in the worst of circumstances. So the question is, if it's if this glorious, like this is a beautiful vision, right? If it's this, then why don't we pray? Why don't you pray? What stands in your way? Now, I know there are a lot of reasons, and for each one of us here, we'd probably have a whole list, but I think there are a couple that are really significant that I'd like us to look at today. The first is disappointment, and the second is busyness. Our Bible is filled with stories of disappointment, filled with stories of disappointment. God moves in ways we just don't understand. Jesus himself experienced disappointment. When he was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We will all experience disappointment. We don't celebrate it. We don't see it as a positive, even though God can do much for us and in us during that time. We celebrate victory, right? We celebrate those things that we perceive are good because they're consistent with our understanding of good. So when's the last time you saw a Super Bowl and at the post-game interview, the losing quarterback, as he's being interviewed, he says, oh, I just want to thank God, praise the Lord. You know, this loss, I could just feel God just really stirring up all these good things in me. Oh, what a wonderful experience. I, I prefer this over winning. I think I'd like to do this again. Never from anyone, anytime. We don't celebrate disappointment. We celebrate what we think is goodness that's going to save us. The Bible says that the heart deferred, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so what happens when we're disappointed, and sometimes if it's a repeated type of thing, we begin to question God's love. We question his faithfulness towards us. We question if he's even there for us. Is he even there? Does he even care? And so slowly we begin to back away. We begin to distance ourselves from him. We begin to move to other things. And that may be where you find yourself right now. Are you just a little bit further from God than you were perhaps last year or the year before? You find yourself kind of drifting because you just feel disappointed and you're not sure if he's even there for you or if he even cares about you. It will rob you of your intimacy with God and it will rob you of your desire to have intimacy with God. But maybe that's not it for you. Maybe it's this idea of busyness, right? Uh, We love to celebrate our busyness. We have jobs and we're doing work and we have families and we're taking care of this one. There's so many things that by the end of the week, it's like all I want to do is crash, right? I just want to just veg someplace. And so I want to go on social media. I want to scroll. I want to watch TV. I want to do all kinds of things. Some of us flood to our addictions because of this lifestyle that we've developed. But I think underneath it, if we really want to be courageous people, We want to lift that lid and see what's under it. Underneath busyness, I believe, is illusion. 
I think we live in illusion. We live in the state of illusion because we believe that we can actually control our lives. We believe we can be the masters of our own fate. We believe that if, it just, if I just try hard enough, if I just do the right things, I can make it happen. I can be all things to all people. In fact, like Pastor Rich said, we lack humility. We lack humility. For me, this business, it tends to surface uh, in this kind of warped sense of self-reliance. Now, self-reliance is a good thing, but when it, when it forces me into a place where I distance myself from God, that's not a good thing. And underneath it is my unwillingness to ask for help because as a woman of color, when I ask for help, it could seem that I'm weak or I just can't do certain things. And in that place, I know that many voices around me in the world believe that if I get need help, if I ask for help, that's because there's something defective about me. And the achievements that I have are not things that I've earned, but they're a result of charity that's been given to me. And so I fight. I fight that sense of being kind of open and needing help. But that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. The truth is I need silence and solitude. Because in silence and solitude, I don't have to perform. I don't have to get it right. I don't have to make anything happen. It has nothing to do with my degrees. It has nothing to do with my memory. It has nothing to do with anything. It's only the grace of God in silence. John the Baptist, he knows who he is. He knows his limits. He's not trying to be anything other than who he is. He's not the Messiah. He's not a prophet. He's not Elijah. He says very simply, I am the precursor. I'm the guy that was sent to prepare the world for the guy. That's my role. That's it. And I'm not going to build it up. I'm not going to say anything to make you happy. I'm not going to downplay it to make you even more happy. I'm just going to be consistent and tell you, this is what God told me to do, and I intend to do it. Because the life of illusion that we live in, it has some dire consequences. And sometimes we don't recognize the price that we're paying in our relationship with God. Julian of Norwich, who lived in the 14th century, um, she says, she describes this kind of uh, result of our, our status of living this way. She says, this is why we are not all in ease of heart and soul. For we seek here, in this world, to rest in this thing that is so little where there is no rest, and we do not know our God, who is almighty, all wise, and all good, who is our rest. God wants to be known, and it delights God that we rest in God. For nothing less than God is sufficient for us. Hear that. Nothing less than God is sufficient for us. This is why no soul is at rest until it is emptied of all things that are made. This is why we're restless. This is why we're exhausted. 
This is why we're not at peace, because we're looking to things that are made, and that is not where we will find our rest. So do you need rest for your soul? Do you need peace? God invites you into silence and solitude. He invites you into the space where he can do the same work in you that he did in John. The other thing um, that we need to remember is that the Christian life is also a life of sacrifice. So when you enter into this life and you begin this journey of transformation and you feel, you know, you get a sense when you, when you have a practice of silence and solitude, you get to a point where you do feel things are shifting in your soul. And all that is wonderful. But you cannot expect that the world will now validate you. You cannot expect now that the world will see you as this beautiful and kind emissary because that is not what will happen. John the Baptist, remember, was executed. Now, this may not happen to you or I, but we will have our own deaths. We'll have deaths where people that we love turn on us, where he sends us to people that don't care about us, where we are sent to people that are vicious and cruel, where we will be on social media sharing what we think are really wonderful things meant to edify, and people will curse us. Those are deaths that we will experience. Those are realities of this Christian journey. But there's also good news. There is also good news. And the good news is that we, as inconsistent, as unstable at times as we are, as cyclical as our lives can be, God's focus on us never changes. His eye never wavers from you. His eye never turns from you. His compassion never shifts. His love does not go up and down. He loves you today as much as he will love you on your worst or best day. His love and faithfulness is not dependent on our faithfulness or our love. He himself is the author of love. He is the author of faithfulness. And so there's a way forward for anyone here, no matter where you are on this scale of prayer, whether you've been doing it, you haven't, whether you started, you stopped, whatever, it doesn't matter because even though it's impossible to live this life without a life of, of good, of, of with prayer, even though that's impossible, It's never impossible to start again. It doesn't matter how many times you fail. It's never impossible with God for him to do new things in your life. You can always, always begin again. And so as we prepare for communion, I just want us to take, um, just take a minute of silence And I want you to just experience rest in God. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, when I'm silent, the one thing I don't feel is rest. But trust the process. Just sit, take a deep breath in. And then I'll let us know when the time is up. Take about, it will take about a minute. Let's begin.
Amen. Let's stand and share our prayer of confession together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault, in thought and word and deed, in what we have done and what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Communion is a wonderful time to be able to celebrate and to acknowledge the life of prayer that our Lord offers to us. He offers us this gift so that we can remember his commitment to us, that he's always with us, that he never forgets us, and that he always has a space and a home for each of us. And so on the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ, he blessed the bread and he broke it. And he, he said, this is my body broken for you. Brothers and sisters, let's take together. And he took the cup and he said, this represents the new covenant of my blood shed for you. Whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, let's drink together. The space that waits for you in silence and solitude is a space provided by your Savior, the one who gave his life, who shed his blood for you. It's a space that is open, welcoming, and created just for you. So let's worship and celebrate together.
to the Christian life. It's not, this is not a country club. This is not an invitation to be part of a cool place with cool people that have witty sayings. It's an invitation to be a transformed people. It's an invitation to live out and walk out the call of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified and died to save us and others like us. And so we want to be on the road to being those crucified, transformed people. We need to die to some of the things that we have leaned on and relied on. And the only way we can do that is in the presence of our God, the one who created us, the one who knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He's closer to you than you are to yourself. And in these places, his promise is that as a person seeking righteousness, you will be filled. And so if you want to have prayer, if you want someone to just stand in the gap with you, I want to invite our prayer team to my right here. Please come up. Don't leave here without someone praying and just standing in agreement with you that yes, I have, I have not been in the path that I want to be, but I want God to continue to work with me. Please pray with me. It doesn't matter how many times you start your prayer journey and you stop it. You're going to stop. You're going to start. You'll stop again. You'll start again. It doesn't matter how many times. What's important is that you continue to get back up. Get back up. Because this world needs you to get back up. We need a transformed people. I look around. We see evidence. We need a transformed people. People need us to be transformed and to show the love of Christ to this dying world. And we can do it because it's who our Lord created us to be with his help. He will do what he has promised to do in each of our lives. And if you're new and you don't even know anything about Jesus and you don't even know what the Christian life is about and you're not, you know, you're not even sure that you want to be in this life, that's okay too. We want to hear from you. There's a, there'll be a QR code right there and you can scan that code and you can let us know you want to explore, you want to know what is it to live this Christian life. No one will pressure you. No one will force you into anything. It's a safe conversation where you can explore the Christian life. And if you have already been saved and you already have a life of Christ and you have not been baptized, we want to invite you as well. Because this is your opportunity to proclaim in front of friends and family that you do intend to walk this life out with Christ. And you never know who will hear your story and be transformed. Think about that. 
You never know who will hear your story and be transformed. So after service, for those of you online, we have a sermon discussion. Your link is there on your platform. You can press that. And those of you that are here in the room, we also have a sermon discussion. It'll take place right here in this room um, immediately following the service as well. So I'm going to pray for us um, and pray that God continue to allow this to just seep into your soul. And remember, there is no judgment. God cannot be disappointed in you. That's one art of disappointment that cannot happen. He cannot be disappointed in you. He knows you. He created you. He knows where you are, and he knows where you're going. So go to him freely, freely. So brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the face of our gracious and loving God shine upon you. May you receive the rays of his love as they seep into your soul, into your heart, into the innermost parts of your very being. May you know that you are loved, cherished, valued. And may you know that the Lord has prepared a space for you. He has prepared a banquet for you. All you need is to enter in, to meet him in places of silence and solitude, where he'll continue to nurture this love in you, that can now reach the world. So we bless you. Thank you in Jesus' name. See you all later. See you at the after-service discussion.